Kia ora everybody and welcome to another episode of The Stag Raw. This episode I interview Gemma Major. Now I met Gemma back at Ryla, um, the Rotary Young Leaders Award. Uh, it was like a week-long camp, both myself and Alex have been on it. Highly recommended if you get the opportunity. And Gemma is the person that I had the conversation with around building a community of people within the Waikato that were young, that were ambitious, that were needing a community. Um, and that was the start of what has now become Seed Waikato. And I often contribute some of my blogs to Seed Waikato's website. And the first blog that I wrote for them was about sharing your heartache. And that, as Gemma says, seems to be one of the core basis for what keeps seed going is the sharing of heartache and then the collective um, ambition to help to heal that heartache. And she talks about a number of initiatives that seed is doing, um, one about her heartache, the, that with mental health. And it's, of course, mental health's not just for, um, a unique heartache for people. A lot of people have issues with mental health, whether that be in a clinical setting or just in terms of feelings like loneliness, uh, sadness, isolation, um, as, as we dealt with with the seed concept. Um, Gemma is a powerful individual. She has a lot going on. You'll really enjoy this conversation. She's quite inspiring and and full of life and one of our great friends. So without further ado, here is Gemma Major from Seed Waikato. I hope you enjoy and get a lot out of this. Cheers. Kia ora everybody. We are talking across the Tasman with my good friend Gemma Major now. Are you used to that yet? <laughs> yeah, I suppose. It has a nice ring to it. <laughs> yeah. And we just talk, talked off here and asked, what did you do on the weekend? And you said you've had three hectic days and you can't remember. But let's talk about the weekend before because that was pretty amazing what, what you're up to there. Tell us about Festival of the Future and um, what happened for you there. <laughs> wow, yeah. Festival for the Future was insane. It's run by Inspiring Stories down in Wellington this year and brought together about 1,200 young people across the country to talk about issues that really matter. So it um, was an inspiring couple of days, but also pretty um, full on talking about some of our biggest challenges as a country and as a planet. Um, but <laughs> on the first night, they gave away an all-expenses-paid vacation to Hawaii, and yours truly <laughs> won the vacation. <laughs> yes! Um, but but it really is. I think it represents. Um, I think it represents all the mahi we've done together over the last two years in bringing seed to life. Um, there's no way I could take credit for that on my own. <laughs> um, but yeah, they were so stoked. Nurture change with um, the work that we're doing with millennials, and yeah, wanted wanted to give us a vacation and, and help develop that a little further, which is awesome. So, what are you going to do in Hawaii? <laughs> Um, what are we going to do in Hawaii? Uh, they've got Nurture Change does this kind of every year, so there's a schedule that's quite organized. And I think there's around 200 entrepreneurs from around the Pacific coming together. Um, and it's meant to be like a relaxed 
kickback style of business development um, and those conversations that happen around the pool just accidentally after, you know, you do a session on leadership or whatever it is, um, are meant to be where the magic happens. So my understanding is just like a really chilled version of a kind of business development opportunity, I guess. Um, yeah. <laughs> nice. And, and to think that started at a little um, camp at the bottom of Lake Karapiro and now you're, you're going to be by a pool in um, Hawaii. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's perspective. <laughs> nice. So two years ago, as I just said, we, we met at a, a lake at Lake Karapiro and um, I'd just moved to the Waikato. Somehow I was on Ryla despite being too old and uh, <laughs> sort of uh, I don't even know which night it was, came to you and said, well, I've got this idea. You look like you know some people in Hamilton. Let's see what we can do. And much like right now, we were up at the cricket door at, at um, what was it? Not Hayes Common. Mr. Milton's. Mr. Milton's. And all <laughs> of a sudden we had 10 people show up to talk about, hey, I want to meet up with some people. Why yeah. has why has the journey been like since then? When, when not, before I left and said so that was... What have we done? We'd done eight months of, of work. We'd looked at it three ways with uh, Greg, with Paloma, and um, oh, Jess. Jess Melina. I was about to say, how has her name escaped me right now? <laughs> <laughs> um, what do you think was the, the key foundation for Seed? Like I said, we looked at it three ways. We tested mm. it a couple of ways. What is mm. the key foundation? I reckon the key foundation for Seed had been going through and testing some of those assumptions we had um, around what is it that young people are looking for, what evidence do we have to support that, and how do we co-design something that can be really meaningful here in the region. And I think having so much buy-in and involvement from such a wide group of people um, I think really meant that this wasn't about one person or a couple of persons, but it became about, um, I guess, a cultural shift or or a push for something different and a movement, um, and and really understanding why that needed to happen. I think has been key in driving successful events or um, developing new ideas that turn into something that really does hit the sweet spot. Um, and I think second to that is just like a passionate group of people that give a shit. And I think having, having a um, more organic and fluid approach to startup, um, I think that um, didn't necessarily need to have so much structure and, um, yeah, rigidity. And um, I think that really enabled quite a few people to, to get involved and, and slice off something that, really mattered to them um and there's been a lot of learnings along the way my god but um yeah pretty stoked to see what can happen when people share ideas when people share their pain and when people share what's wrong so that the dreamers and doers can come together and do something about it it's just it's just been phenomenal <laughs> nice so um it's quite good because the launch video earmarks like pretty much the week that Alex and I found out we were having Billy. And yeah. He's busy there doing yoga and I always watch that video and go, oh, there's a little baby in that tummy. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that, that marked about 18 months of 
getting things going. Now, when when we, when you guys launched, it was this beautiful video done by Blair, and you know, it's it, it in itself has had a lot of um, recognition. But mm. leading leading into that, as I said, eighteen months of hard work and and volunteer time. Mm. What, what were some of the real lows and challenges with the with the group? Oh, lows and challenges. <laughs> I think having no experience and um kind of this sense of responsibility i think has been really challenging um uh, leading up to the launch like we've got something here how are we going to execute this and like you say ex- exploring that and slicing that in many different ways and kind of being like oh where do you even begin um and then starting to look at some of the legal ramifications around that as well like what legal structure do we need and how do we attract funding and um, how's this going to be resourced? What's the organizational structure? And all that kind of stuff was just like, oh, quite overwhelming. And I think with this being something that people were exploring in the evenings and on the weekends, I think um, the biggest challenge was not really having somebody with their eyes on it like a lot of time. Um, and then I think organizing so many people that are interested in it as well to make sure that they're engaged, fulfilled, passionate about what they're doing. Um, that's been a real challenge, but it's also been all the opportunities. <laughs> so I think Seeds on its um, second legal structure, third legal structure now, um, mm. but it's we're really good at making legal structures. So <laughs> through almost every legal structure. Um, but yeah, yeah, I think it was, we don't know what we don't know. We're young, we've got ambition, we've got passion, we can see the change we want to see, just not exactly sure how to get there. Um, yeah. Nice. Uh, so one of the initial things we dealt with was competition and um, how do you think it, it's come out? I, I saw you that. Speaking of, if you call it competition, you all came together and did a submission to the city council. Um, What do you think was really positive about the way that C looked at that word competition and and, um, a space that potentially was slightly filled and and found its own niche? Mm. That's a good question. Um, I think it's got to do with, we don't use the word competition, we use the word complementers. And for us, we're, we're about the vision. The vision is our place to, f- to thrive, a region where young people thrive, a vibrant Waikato. And so there's no way that we can do that on our own, especially in the way that we're currently operating. Um, but even if we did have, you know, um, paid staff and, and there was quite a few of us, I still don't believe that SEED would ever be able to really support millennials to thrive on their own accord. And so for us, we've we've looked at who are our complementers that sit around this at a local level, at a national level, and how can we work together to drive more um, more change that can come about a bit more quicker. And so, by working with some of these other groups, um, that submission to the Hamilton City Council not only does it demonstrate collaboration, which is one of our values, but it says, "Hey, hello, we're the millennials of the city, Hamilton City Council." Um, young people are going to have their say on what matters to them with this 10-year plan. And so I think there was four of us that worked together on that one. And then more recently with the government inquiry into mental health and addiction, there was 11 of us that worked together and it took 48 hours to bring them together. It was a no-brainer because 
the issues that young people face are not unique to the people that come along to seed. They are actually represented across all our complementers. <laughs> and it's about finding that sweet spot where we want to work together to do something um, quite meaningful. Um, so, yeah, I think it's about collaboration. It's about complementing each other and holding on to the vision more so than our how or our what and saying who else um, can hold on to that too and, and work towards something in that space. Beautiful. I think we might just park seed for a moment and we'll definitely come back to it because there's so much more there. But for those that, that don't know seed and don't know you and maybe don't even know the Waikato, who is Gemma Major? <laughs> who's, who's Gemma Major today? Jeez, what do you want to know? <laughs> <laughs> Diverse. <laughs> oh, jeez. Um, who's Gemma Major today? I'm still finding out. I'm still exploring myself um, and trying to, yeah, figure out what it is that makes me me and what it is that the world needs from me as well. I think um, Seed was just this crazy, I never imagined ever what Seed would be like um, in terms of what it is today. We, you know, you couldn't have set it up, you know, me and you meeting that <laughs> down in Ryla. Um, and I think for me, it, it's just like I've identified things that I'm incredibly passionate about, um, whether that's mental health because of my own lived experience with that. And I can touch on that if you want. Yeah, we'll get into um, that, but not quite yet. Carry on. <laughs> um, and I think also through that experience um, of mental distress, understanding that young people have huge potential. And, and when I meet young people every day, I'm just overwhelmed at, holy moly, you're in such a position to drive change. You're in such a position to be disruptive. You're in such a position to smash that glass ceiling that sits above you. Who's giving you space to do that? Um, who's supporting you to make that happen? And so that's that's what gets me fired up, <laughs> supporting millennials. And I think through my own lived experience with mental health, that that's quite important. Um, I'm really passionate about the emergence of social enterprise in this country. Um, I've done some research around that when I was at university where I studied um, management and graduated with honours there. Um, and, and what role... Um, philanthropy and, and wider stakeholders have in supporting the emergence of social, social enterprise. I'm passionate about philanthropy after working in philanthropy for four years um, and helping build the region's community foundation here. Um, and philanthropy for me is about love of humanity. It's not about rich people making donations. Um, it's about thinking really strategically about the change we want to see and then um, building resources around that and, um, and investing in a long-term um, intervention rather than kind of short-term uh, interventions that help alleviate symptoms. So, yeah, Gemma is passionate about philanthropy, passionate about the emergence of social enterprise, um, passionate about millennials, um, passionate about um, breaking the stigma with mental health. And, yeah. Does that answer the question? Yeah, <laughs> it's no, weird talking about yourself. <laughs> it is, and especially like like you say, we're we're all in that um, time point of flux, uh, especially in our twenties. We're constantly developing. Like um, 
before this, I was just in the shower thinking as you do, and I'm turning 30 in a couple of weeks, and I was thinking, wait, what was I doing five years ago? And um, a group of friends and I in Auckland, we we went to a BYO at the famous Canton restaurant in, in Kingsland, and I woke up the next morning with a McDonald's bag and I opened it up and inside was a pounder. So that's a quarter pounder four times over. And I was just thinking, wow, a lot, lot's changed in five years. <laughs> oh my gosh. I can't even imagine you eating McDonald's. <laughs> it was quite good at the time. But if, if you look back five years, and, and as we just said, two years ago, we, we met at Ryla. If you look back five years, um, what does what does Gemma do and look like there in, in the middle of university, finding what? these finding these passions? Five years ago, I think where would I have been five years ago? Probably um, a year before starting with Momentum. So probably in my end of my fourth year of uni. Um, quite a confused I think still quite confused I was still um I've uh, grown up growing up in Australia and having moved here when I was 17 I think I really struggled to find meaningful connections if we want to use that phrase um <laughs> meaningful connections at university I, I, I just didn't there's a handful of people that I, I would now call lifelong friends but I was kind of that person that ducked in and out and was working a lot to be able to save to travel whenever there was a break at uni. Um, but I was trying to figure out what next after uni as well. I couldn't see a career path that I was really excited or drawn to. Um, I love business and I love um, strategy, but I never saw myself working in a business. Um, and then somebody... Um, encouraged me to do a course at uni called self-actualized leadership and it's probably around five years ago that I did that in my fourth year and that's when um, Cheryl Reynolds the CEO the first CEO of Momentum came and did a guest lecture and she talked about the community foundation model and um, about some of the other enterprises she'd set up before that and I was like oh my goodness I, I think that could be a path worth following um, and as kind of being the first person in my family to go to university and um, really trying to understand, well, what could I be as a, as a woman interested in business? What does that look like? So seeing somebody like Cheryl, who was a kind of serial entrepreneur, um, kind of lead these organizations, build them, um, do some really cool stuff in the creative space and in the community space, I thought, oh, I suppose... That, that could be something I'd love to learn from. So I think it was <laughs> much as it is now still, really, that exploring um, flat phase, that curiosity of, of what does my life look like. Um, I, I couldn't really even see a couple of years ahead of, of where I was, you know. And I, if I'm honest, I can't really see too much further than that where I am now. Maybe I can see 30 or 40 or 50 years in the future, but things just change so much that I try not to, <laughs> to vision too specifically. <laughs> but yeah, I say quite, quite confused, quite curious, I'm still finding my place, still trying to, um, yeah, figure out the skills and strategies to ground myself and, and um, manage my mental distress too. So yeah. 
no, that's that's really honest and, and quite cool. And it was actually something Alex and I were talking about the other day that how weird is it you know, that you go to a job interview and some people will ask you, what are you doing in five years? And it's like, well, I'd just like to get this job right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, you spoke about Cheryl there and one of the key things that we wanted to do with, with Seed was provide people with meaningful mentors and I think the events that you've run have given people a snapshot of of people that they can idolise. And that's one of the things people often talk about with those five people that you surround yourself with. It doesn't actually have to be your friend. It can mm. be an, an example of somebody. And, and that's mm. something that Seed's really done. And then you've taken that even deeper now with your little um, conferences. What, mm. what was the – why was it so important to have someone like Cheryl guide you and – open your mind, I guess, because her story is incredible of, of an open-mindedness and, and coming from a place that you wouldn't believe. What, mm. what, what do you think is so important about having someone like that and why you, would you love to share that type of thing with everybody else? Yeah, I think these are really good questions, right? Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're up to episode 42, so I hope they're getting good. <laughs> <laughs> no, these are solid questions. Um, <laughs> I think for me, the way that I like to learn, and I, I don't think it's unique to me, I think this is part of the millennial generation, is that um, kind of going through university was awesome. Learning the theories, like, you know, I'm, I'm kind of like, give me a case, give me, give me something real that, that's tangible and there's an impact and consequence for my action that I can see, you know. So for me, the mentorship with Cheryl was around actually – being in the real world and actually going through the highs and lows of startup and of doing something that hasn't been done before and of um, needing to achieve strategic objectives set by a board and, um, you know, just going through those motions. I wanted to experience that in real life, <laughs> not in the textbook. And to learn from somebody like Cheryl, that is somebody willing to let the ladder down um, and somebody that would just constantly pursue my potential and I was probably unconscious to this for a long time because I didn't believe in myself I didn't have confidence in what I was bringing to the table um I didn't yet know what my craft was because you know I've just got a degree you know so I've traveled I've worked in bars you know like what's that got to do with the real world and so um I think she just was somebody that was able to to see potential and then nurture that. And she'd often send me along to things where I'm the youngest in the room, the least experienced, um, the least knowledgeable on, on what's being discussed. And that really, those were the upskilling exercises. They were the real world papers on, you know, how to build relationships with different stakeholders, how to talk confidently about the industry and um, the aspirations of our community. and um, and that was a really cool, cool experience to have where you've got somebody walking alongside you that's also your leader and your manager, um, but somebody that's actively looking for doors to open for you so that that potential can be pursued. And um, I mean, that, that you can't, I can't quantify that experience. I mean, it scaffolded me to be able to do what we're doing with Seed. <laughs> um, I remember at one point, Cheryl said to me, all right, um, you're going to do our comms. And I'm like, I didn't do a comms degree. I've got no idea how to do comms. 
And she said, it doesn't matter because I know you'll be able to figure it out. And so that's when I learned about writing copy and about design and branding and photography and videography and seed does so much comms and, and we've needed to do that to build a brand and build a presence. So there's times where I just kind of got to pinch myself and I'm like, you know, my mindset towards that experience at working at Momentum has really um, enabled me to transfer a, a lot of knowledge because it, it really was a learning exercise. And not just Cheryl, I mean, Raywin Kirkman as well as another incredible leader um, and woman that I really look up to. And she had an incredible set of skills that were quite different to Cheryl's. And so it was almost like, you know, being able to get the best of both worlds in terms of vision and and um uh creativity and thinking outside the box and then actually some of those practical details that are really important um relationships and human development and um and and that experience i mean you can't sign up for that paper you know <laughs> so knowing what that's been able to do for me i feel like wow that that's helped me unleash my potential um how can i support others to be in, in that situation as well. And so you might see in the next six to 12 months, see do something um, in that mentorship space in a bigger way, which you'll be pleased to hear. Um, getting our ducks in a row, so I'm not gonna say too much more, but um, yeah, that, that's, that's so important for us going forward. Awesome, you, you mentioned the word, um, a good scaffold for for things and i wonder if it's the way that our schooling set up and, and this participation award society that we live in that you get into like you said the real world the the true case study and all of a sudden you're bombarded with emotions of it and, and the true potential that a failure can mean you know for in the case of of momentum a, a loss of funding or or a, a tarnishing on on the on the brand or, or whatever you know especially at a community community fund like momentum you know things written across the newspaper mm. <laughs> um, how important was it to have that scaffold like you say the ability to fail on comms you know go to comms that that scaffold that support how important was that for you to to deal with the emotionalness of being in the in the workforce yeah yeah i mean i don't know if i'll fully see the true impact of that for a while but I think it's got to do with resilience and building that over time. Um, I think I've learned that you do need to put in a lot of work over a long period of time to see good shit happen. It, it's um, difficult as a millennial wanting that instant gratification as well. And like my long period of time is like 12 months, you know, like we talked about, so many different ways to slice seed before we even got going. And it was like, that was frustrating. It was like, why can't we just do this right now? You know? Um, but I knew that we needed to get the ducks in a row, that we needed to be well supported on our back end in order for us to launch and do that sustainably, successfully, and then set that up to be replicated again and again. So yeah, I think it's, I think it's got to do with that resilience and being able to go, yep, that, that really didn't go how we thought, but that's cool. Um, I'm going to rewrite that copy and I'll do it again. And I'm going to, um, you know, try, try a little bit harder, try a bit different. And um, maybe I'll reach out to somebody who's more of an expert on that than me and um, get their ideas on it. And I think 
through understanding what my strengths are, I did some stuff with um, the Gallup Strength Finder, which has been really helpful in terms of um, developing what it is that I bring to the table because I was quite confused about what that was. And one of them's called um, input, which is around gathering ideas, um, talking to different people, um, sharing knowledge, and then piecing maybe the best bits from all of that together to then create something. So, yeah, I think that understanding that that input's quite important, um, you know, when it's not quite landing where we had hoped <laughs> to then just kind of, it's all good, lift your head up. Um, who else can you ask? Um, give it a go again. And uh, yeah, um, Kendall was saying the other day that Thomas Edison made the light bulb on the thousand and first go. It's okay if seed strategies at version 16, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah, how are those Google Docs going? Are they pretty loaded? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I've, I've given up on Google Docs the last couple of months for strategy and I just whiteboard and post-it note because I'm not firming anything up until <laughs> we're confident it's going somewhere. <laughs> nice. Uh, do, you, do you think that, um, like you said, having two mentors that are nearly polar opposites, but different, different skills helps, helps mm. you identify that, Hey, I don't need to be doing all the jobs. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That was, that was, um, something that I needed somebody else to tell me that was, and I, and I was really grateful for that, that I had some trusted relationships around me where they could say, Gemma, <laughs> I sit down and have the heart chat. Gemma, <laughs> if you don't let some shit go, this is not going to work. And I was just like, Oh my gosh, of course. And so learning to shift from being the doer, which is what I had traditionally been. I'm really good at just doing shit, you know, um, and shifting from needing to be the doer to shifting to needing to be the one that scaffolds other people for success and then supports and empowers them to thrive. I thought, oh, well, that's going to be so boring because I love doing the doing, but I've honestly had the most joy from seeing people set their goals, understand the plan, smash those goals, um, reimagine how we could do it different, do it better. And that real sense of accomplishment and achievement that sits within the team when they're owning stuff and bringing that to life too is just so sick. So um, I probably wasn't aware when I was working with, with the likes of Raywin and Cheryl um, just how important it was to make space for other people to really thrive and um, the role of, of that leader or that manager is to create that space and to support and empower and serve that team rather than to, yeah, do all the shit and tell everyone what to do. And, yeah, it's, it's, it's been a cool learning curve. I'd say that that's been my biggest stretch zone up over the last year. Nice. And, and we talked about the emotion of going into the workforce. What's the emotion like each night on a, on a seat of it? How many times do you think you cry tears of joy? <laughs> each speaker multiple times. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's incredible because all that work behind the scenes is leading to that front facing event. Right. And, um, what people probably don't see is well, what they certainly don't see is all the work that is going in behind the scenes from 
12 to 15 people each month to bring that event to life and then to develop a strategy that takes this to the next level. And so seeing that front facing stuff, like, you know, people actually engaging in what Seed does is so rewarding and hearing those different stories about what it means is, is my, my rocket fuel, you know, whether that's, um, people coming along and finding a newly discovered purpose, quitting their job and going and doing something that now fuels the passion. Um, we had a young woman come along and hear Cassidy speak and was so inspired to connect with her iwi that she actually went and registered as a member um, and is now learning more about her whakapapa. Um, we've had people that have been um, on, on serious, serious levels of depression come along and, and have hope for a better tomorrow that um, building a little bit more of that resilience to want to keep fighting and, um, and build community around them to support them through that. Um, people have been inspired to write a book. <laughs> um, um, and, and these stories, you know, um, we often talk about in philanthropy, work, you know, working as a funder, how do you measure success or your impact as a social enterprise or an, or an organisation that's um, delivering social or environmental change? And for me, we can say, you know, oh, yes, we've, we've run 12 events and had more than 1,000 young people with 28 leaders talking on topics and, you know, uh, 35 blogs with, from more than 10 bloggers. And, you know, there's like that numbers stuff. But for me, those stories around what that change looks like for them at a personal level, at a human development level, is why it's still going. <laughs> no, that's awesome. Um, you said about, um, well, I'll reframe this. When, when we did Seed and you spoke about blogs, I did my blog about, how it came about that my heartache was trying to find people to hang out with and friends with and build community and that word meaningful connections or words meaningful connections. Yeah. Um, and then you touched on your heartache as, as the mental health thing and, and you said you, you graduated from university with honours and did they call it valedictorian at, at Waikato? What, what was it called? Your little, your little being the speaker at the graduation? Oh, just the graduate speaker, I think. I don't know, okay. valedictorian. Bella what? <laughs> Valedictorian. Isn't that what they call it in the States? Anyway. Right. <laughs> so you bought the house down and, and it's on it's on YouTube. Do you want to give us the cliff notes of your journey through that to get to university? And mm. uh, and why mental health is such a passion for you. Oh yes, the old mental health story. So um yeah, I think graduating from university was something that I, I actually never thought that I could do um, uh, alongside a few other things. My doctors said that I wouldn't be able to do a lot. Um, I mean, that was uh, 17, I was 17 when I moved to New Zealand um, and was put into a facility here to kind of detox. Um, I had taking a lot of substances through my teenage years, um, kind of self-medicating um, bipolar and schizophrenia. My experience with mental distress started around the age of 14 when I started hallucinating and experiencing intense mood swings um, of, of absolute mania and feeling like Jesus and <laughs> doing thing and being on top of the world to depression and, and suicidal thoughts and ideation and, and wanting to leave the planet um, and couple that with visual hallucinations, paranoia, um, 
uh, anxiety, you know, uh, constant worrying about <laughs> people and things. And it was, it was a very, very difficult experience for me through my teenage years. And so I started taking a lot of drugs to self-medicate. And then 17 needed to really um, have a change of scene. So I moved from Brisbane to Hamilton, stayed with my grandparents, and um, they helped me become well again. Um, I was in an outpatient facility here for about 16 months and I did um, work with a psychiatrist, a counsellor, a social worker and a psychologist. And, and that psychiatrist said to me, you would struggle to live independently, you will struggle to hold down a full-time job, you'll struggle to go to uni because you're so far gone, um, we just can't see a different reality for you. So, I mean, at 17, you know, how do you accept those labels when you've got your whole life ahead of you. And I think if I didn't have the personality that I did, um, things would be very different today. Um, I could have sat there and accepted that as my fate, um, but I used that as, as ammo to prove them wrong <laughs> and work bloody hard at applying the strategies the psychologist was teaching me. So I really struggled at uni. First year I failed quite a few things and I was at the bottom of the class and um, yeah, I was having, um, schizophrenic episodes at university and I wouldn't tell anyone. I wouldn't tell the teachers. I didn't tell anybody else that I like was in this space. I really did feel the stigma at uni. Um, but, but yeah, I think as I was saying before, you know, it's, it's hard work when no one's looking over an extended period of time that got me to where I am now. And, that hasn't been easy. There's been a lot of sacrifices that I've made um, to do that. But I mean, if you don't have your health, you can't do anything. <laughs> so yeah, I think for me, um, talking really openly about bipolar and schizophrenia has um, meant that other people can talk openly about it too. And I think traditionally people don't think I look like schizophrenia or, or schizophrenia could look like me. Um, but it does. And so I think that's been really important for me to help break that stereotype and, and create spaces where people can talk openly about where they're at. Um, the most frustrating thing with that, though, has been that um, access to mental health services and support in New Zealand is really hard unless you're in a space of addiction or you're kind of at the end of the tether and you can go into and be hospitalized, you know, um, so that kind of preventative stuff is really hard. Yeah. Even that I saw a article in the tick, the Herald yesterday the other day before it said the Waikato beds are full. And so even, yeah. even when it comes to the end of the tether, it, it's, you know, a struggle when it, like I said, you guys did a submission about mental health. Yeah. And, and I think too, it's like, for me, um, going through bipolar and knowing what that depression looks like, I could easily be one of those statistics around youth suicide. And so I think I, I sit in a place of gratitude that I am not and that, um, that through, you know, whatever different circumstances have been able to get access to, to resource to support me to become well. And I think I've got a sense of responsibility to want to, give that to other people and open doors and as, as any way in many ways as, as I can. And um, 
yeah, rather than kind of sit in this place and be like, oh, you know, I'm kind of on the other side of, of most of the hard stuff. I mean, it's still not easy. Kind of every six, three to six months, I'll go through a period again. Um, but it's quite light and, and I know it will pass. Um, but it just doesn't seem fair to be able to be in this place, but know that so many other people can't. So, yeah. And are you still doing work with Dr. Steve? Yes, I yeah. am. Um, and you guys were lucky enough to have him present for you guys. Um, yeah. what, what are some of the key focuses that you worked through with Dr. Steve? Yeah, Dr. Steve had been around, um, uh, I guess I went in with a goal to be able to reduce my prescription medication um, and and understand what my body could be possible, you know, like what the potential was of my body without assisted medication um, and could I be well without that. So we've reduced it, um, I think, by over half, which is awesome, the dosage. Um, but some of the key things with Dr. Steve had been around leaky gut, um, adrenal fatigue, um, and my nervous system. Um, mm. I didn't realize I was gluten intolerant and, um, now I don't eat gluten or I try my best not to, um, <laughs> but I, I certainly notice it when I do eat gluten, just how foggy my brain gets. And, and it almost like feels like the beginning of the schizophrenia, you know, like, it almost kind of it's like a trigger for it almost it's quite yeah strange and then um you know as a already quite energetic person <laughs> realizing I shouldn't drink coffee <laughs> so I cut coffee from my my life um but yeah just trying to focus on breathing as well focusing on nutrition focusing on um restoring my body and and using some of those supplements um, uh, I'm on some stuff at the moment for leaky gut because I, I, yeah, was feeling so low and went and saw Steve and he said, you've got leaky gut. Within 48 hours, I was almost back to normal. It was unbelievable. So, um, yeah, he, he does great stuff. I love the holistic approach. <laughs> nice. Um, so I thought I had there when I, when I watched the video for the mental health submission is that almost the process of you guys bringing together, you know, you filled that room at Zeal. Mm. I don't know if that, that says enough as it is, and that's just the people that showed up. Yeah. Um, and then looking at the positive vibes of people talking about something that, you know, topic that can be thought of as, as quite negative. Was, was it that the process was even more impactful than potentially what the outcome of that meeting is going to be. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think that's probably the event that I cried at the most <laughs> um, because I think I realized like, you know, you see the stats and you see, you know, media and you see, you know, social media and you just kind of go, Oh yeah, this is a big issue. But to have 120 people in a room together that are all seriously impacted by mental distress, either, a loved one is affected by it or they themselves. I mean, and, and that, that energy in that room, it wasn't about sitting in a space of blame or, um, or frustration. I mean, there was certainly frustration, but it wasn't like all negative. It was like, let's acknowledge the problems, but cool. We're here to talk about what a better tomorrow looks like. And the ideas that came out of that was just blew me away. I mean, 
if somebody sorted some funding for our our um, better tomorrow ideas, I'd see I'd say we would see a very different New Zealand. So, yeah, sharing that heartache, hey Ryan, like honestly, that that's that sits so so strongly with me. I think in the back of my mind sometimes, where it's like, what is the heartache? What does seed need to bring people around and facilitate change for? And how do we create a space where people can share that heartache and know that there's a community that will be there to help do something about it? Yeah. Mm. And as I've talked about a couple of times, a lot of my inspiration comes from a group in in the States called Every Man. And the thing that they keep talking about is when you bring people together and get them to talk openly and acknowledge their feelings, everybody else in the room goes, oh, hey, I'm not alone. Yeah. Like you said, 120 people are not alone. And hopefully that showed the other God knows how how many times more people were dealing with that. Um, mm. that they're not alone. So it, it was super, super cool to, to see. Um, I'm conscious of your time because I know you got to get away. Um, <laughs> where can people find Gemma? Where can people find Seed? I know you're across, you know, you're the comms girl. <laughs> where are you? <laughs> <laughs> um, I've been doing a bit more on LinkedIn lately. I'm been trying to be a bit more intentional with that but i'm on linkedin under uh gemma major on twitter under gemma rose major i'm gonna try and get opinionated on twitter um uh facebook instagram and same with seeds seeds on every platform too so yeah feel free to reach out um yeah it'd be really cool to see at a seed event be really cool to chat online nice and do you have an ask of anybody or what would you like to leave people with or something to contemplate what is your glass ceiling? I think. Yeah. Yeah. How do you become more conscious of the label of um, the assumptions of the um, ideas, the potential that people are placing around you or society's placing around you. And so that you can grab a fucking sledgehammer and smash that stuff. (laughs) Let's just keep going to, to higher places. I mean, yeah. What's your glass ceiling? Nice. Thank you so much. And I'll let you get away. It's so good to finally do this. It's going to be 42 episodes now. Hopefully my questions are good now. And um, <laughs> it was awesome to have your answers. Thank you so much for being a part of uh, the stag Raw. Thank you, Ryan. And thank you for sharing your heartache. Look at what's happened as a result of that. It's insane. That's no, super cool. Cheers. How good was that from Gemma? And I love that um, analogy about finding your glass ceiling and smashing it with a sledgehammer really personifies what this deck was about and Jim is another great example of what's possible when you don't let titles or labels uh, define you as a person and you chase after your own journey. Um, super inspiring person Gemma and what a great friend to have and this work that Seed Waikato is doing is absolutely awesome, super proud of what's happened there um, all out of just sharing your heartache and, and following it through and it's really awesome um, tonga that the Waikato has in Seed Waikato and it's so good to see that growing and becoming more and more impactful. Um, So if you are in the Waikato, head along to a Seed Waikato event. You will actually have to get in quickly because every time they're selling out um, in their little seminars as well, hugely popular, great way to find your little own community, your little niche that suits you and helps to build you up and and make your life even greater. Of course, the 
um, the podcast, sorry, is brought to you by Waikito, W-A-I-K-E-T-O on Facebook. Um, and of course, W-A-I-K-E-T-0.proveitnow.com if you're after exogenous ketones. We just shared on the Facebook page some of the work out of Ben Binkman's lab. If you're not following him on Twitter, he's a great resource. Um, talks a lot about what Cliff and I spoke about last time on the Stag Raw. Um, exogenous ketones, ketosis, and protein. Um, also big on how mTOR is not this big feared um, protein signaling uh, molecule. Um, really fascinating guy. Anyway, they just released research around the influence of beta-hydroxybutyrate, which of course that's what exogenous ketones are, and their effect on the mitochondria, which of course is your cells' batteries, basically, your, your energy system. And what they showed in a rat model, of course, rats are not humans, but uh, in the skeletal muscle, that the mitochondria worked far more efficiently, and um, they didn't break down. So another positive effect being clinically shown by the evidence. You know, people out there are always asking for, well, what's the evidence? Um, here's some evidence that in the presence of beta-hydroxybutyrate ketones, um, your mitochondria work better and more efficiently. They um, produce less peroxide, so free radicals, um, whilst undergoing more respiration. So you want more power output? Get in ketosis. Um, of course, as I said, you can get your hands on exogenous ketones at waiketzero.proveitnow.com. Um, otherwise, hit me up on the Waikido Facebook page or on my Instagram handle at StagVision. Also, at StagRyan on Twitter if you really want. Um, I'm receptive to any forms of social media. And of course, those links are all in the show notes. So get after it. Hope you're having a great time. Hope you're enjoying the podcast. Hope you enjoyed this one. And let us know what's your glass ceiling and what you're going to smash through with this legend. Cheers.